not even a real country anyway. Welcome, everybody, to episode 616 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast giving somebody a Godzilla LE at MSRP $10,500. It's going to go to someone Saturday morning during my spectacular. We are going to find the biggest Godzilla fan, and there are going to be names inside a hat, and Canada is going to pull a name out of a hat at 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time at Automated Pinball. I'm going to be there with Mike. And if you are a fan of Godzilla and you can prove it to me, email me at canadapinball at gmail.com to get your name into the hat. Now, here's the pressure. When your name gets pulled, you have five minutes to call Automated to claim your game or we go on to the next name and you can't sell this game for a year. We're going to check in on you. And we're going to make sure you share pictures of this game because it better be bolted to the floor because I don't want no scalpers getting this game. Okay, on this episode, I'm super happy to have Orbiter Albert, the host of the now sort of in hiatus forever Pinball Nerds podcast. He's a great guy. He's up in Canada. He knows what it's like to pinball podcast and get burnt out, but he's a really good dude. And when I was supposed to go on his show, all of these like haters that are supposed to be these chill people that are into pinball were so upset that Canada was going to join his show that they made Albert not want to do the show. And so I'm happy he came on to my show. And for all you haters out there, I want you to listen to this. And this is all it was ever going to be. Just two guys talking about pinball, having a good time. This is what the hobby is all about. Let me air this for you. We talk about a lot of stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Orbiter Albert. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been like a five years in the making chat. I have on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, a dear friend of Canada's Pinball Podcast, Orbiter Albert. He was the host of Pinball Nerds Podcast. That's correct, right, Albert? Yes, Pinball Nerds Podcast, as well as Top 3 with Orby on TPN, of course. Awesome. And so, Albert, I've been wanting to talk to you, and we've been saying for a while, let's just come on the show and talk about what's going on in the pinball world. How does that sound? I can't wait. I've listened to every single solitary Canada's Pinball Podcast show, and to get to come chat with you is just incredibly awesome. It's a it's a rare opportunity for me. So, Well, thank you. And that's a lot of episodes. So you've listened to all, what, 615 all 615. When I got into uh, listening to pinball podcasts about, what, three years ago, you were at somewhere around episode 200. And slowly over the years, whenever I was doing a road trip or something, I would go back and listen to kind of 10 in a row or so. And I've really, I've really seen you grow over the years. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Anyone who says this show has not got a hell of a lot more positive over the last year is wrong. They're just wrong. So yeah. thank you for that. Because from time to time, I'm not gonna lie. I, I would I would turn off your show sometimes. A couple years ago, sometimes it would go down a route that just would get me in a negative space about pinball. And of course, I like to use pinball as kind of a, a, a positive mental palette refresh because I love pinball so much. I try to stay in a positive space with pinball, but you know, it, it's hard. You you want to be critical and help the uh, the hobby grow, but at the same time, try to do uh, you know more positive than negative. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Now. It's been a really, what do you think? Has it been a positive year for pinball? Let's talk about Godzilla, because I know this is the hot game. Stern just dropped it, and I know you wanted to talk, and I want to talk about 
the art package on the game first? Should we start there? Because this seems to be the topic of most conversation, uh, whether or not they got the Godzilla artwork correct. What do you think? What's your opinion? <sighs> well, I'll be honest. I'm not exactly an art critic per se, but as the marketing manager of my small little tea company, Angry Alpaca, we work our butts off on getting the best possible Canadian artists on the covers. And I can tell you this, that if you have a product with a good art package, it just sells phenomenally better than a crappy one. And first of all, numbers don't lie, right? We've already heard how well Godzilla is selling and how quickly it's sold out. So therefore, the art package can't be horrible. Second of all, I played the old Godzilla in my old league all the time. The art package was incredibly dull, boring. It didn't pop. It didn't stand out. It did everything wrong that Jeremy Packer, Zombie Yeti, killed it on this art package. I love this art package. If someone is saying that it's slightly oversaturated, sure, fine. I hear that. Right. Well, I can tell you right now, if we look at the just over 3,000 pinball machines created, there's no panel of incredible artists on the planet who wouldn't look at this Godzilla art package and say, it's incredible. They None of them would tell you that like Game of Thrones artwork package is more beautiful than this, is more skilled, is more time, more energy. The odd one might look at Jeremy's other artwork. They might look at Ghostbusters or something, or the, you know, they might look at Avengers or TMNT and go, yeah, you know, I, I don't like this as much as TMNT. Sure, fine. If you're arguing which one is Jeremy Packer's best art package, mm, I, it, maybe it's not Godzilla. And I would like to see this in person. You've said this before. But even if it's not his absolute best art package, anyone complaining about this art package, operators are going to love it because it's going to stand out better than the old Godzilla. There's no way the old Godzilla makes more money in arcade. I mean, maybe now if it's side by side with the new Godzilla, right? But no, I love the package. I think Jeremy killed it. I think if I'm Jeremy and I'm listening to everyone can bitch, moan and complain, I think you're almost going to say, you know what, guys, I don't need to be here. He's such a talented artist. There's so many other places he could go do art packages for where he wouldn't get complaints. Not, not if he stays in pinball, though. I mean, this this is what pinball does. We're, we're a very hypercritical community. So let me ask you a question, though, because it seems like the main complaint, a couple things I've heard, right? It's that it the color palette is too similar to the other games. So it's sort of blending in with Avengers. And then it's Godzilla himself, the the super bright green, sort of more like a piece of fruit than a than a lizard. What do you think? I mean, to people who are saying that, do you see it or do you think those people are sort of grasping for something? I think if you take Godzilla and you make him a more dull green and it doesn't match the rest of the art package, it doesn't like why would you have your main character be dull and boring in the background? You know, it, like this, the the same color as the plastic. I would rather the plastic be, you know, the, the sculpt in the back be the same color. But there is there is some nitpicking you could do. And like I said, I I want to see it up in person first. I don't think it's maybe his best art package. What do you think his best is? Let's stop there. Let me stop you there. What do you think his best is? Iron Maiden, Ninja Turtles, Avengers, Godzilla, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters or maybe Ninja Turtles? It's interesting, right? Because when you look at Ghostbusters, and this is a, something I don't think people have really talked about, the color palette in Ghostbusters that Zombie Yeti mm -hmm. used is much more inspired by the color palette that he came from over at the world of John Papaduke. I mean, it was very much like the J-pop oranges and not oranges, purples and greens. And that's not like how 
Ghostbuster color palette would be, right? But because there's not a lot of illustrated Ghostbusters work out in the world, I think it just worked and it was so beautiful. It was just aesthetically so amazing. So after Ghostbusters, what would you rank as number two? Probably TMNT. My local arcade has Avengers and TMNT sitting right side by side. And of course, on the other side, that's Jurassic Park. And I mean, in comparison to Jurassic Park, in comparison to Game of Thrones, in comparison to even like Aerosmith, like I just think this is leaps and bounds ahead. But when you listen to people's complaints, it's like, well, the the one one piece of the entire artwork is a slightly different color than I would prefer. If that's your biggest complaint, you're just looking for reasons to complain. Right. And right. that's just what you're just a complainer. You're just that's what you're going to do. And, and now that we've seen the gameplay, right, it's like this game seems to be, in all the years I've been covering pinball, this seems to be the best streamed game Stern has ever shown on day one. What were your thoughts when you saw Elwyn showing the world this game? Well, I do have Elwyn uh, cuddled up here on my lap, but of course, that's a different Elwyn. That's my dog here. So if, if you hear her uh, bark or something, it just means someone's came here to drop off a, a package or something. But as Elwyn's biggest fan and also a massive Jack Danger fan, I quite often think, how could the live stream be better? Because I do agree with you. I love Dwight. I am a fan of Dwight, but... I do agree with you. The other live streams where they take the glass off and it's, it goes on for too long. You're losing too many people. It's horrible. 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 And also like you spoil the very experience of walking up to a machine for the first time. It's almost like we're living vicariously through Keith Elwin, who is also one of the world's best players. And that's the way you want to see it. It'd be like the way Dwight does it. It would be like if Tiger Woods wants to show you a golf course instead of swinging the ball and showing you like this beautiful course, Dwight would pick up the ball walk it down the course and put the ball in the hole and be like, this is what happens when you get the ball in the hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. It also, the other thing is too, lots of times movies nowadays that have two, three different trailers. If, if it's a movie I know I want to see, I will like in the first 10 seconds, I will say, stop. I don't want to see anymore. Right. Like, I just, some movie trailers, they show the best parts in there. I thought the live stream was very well done. There's so many mechs in this. That if your biggest complaint is the artwork, it's like, I would say there's maybe five artwork packages on the planet, possibly, even arguably better than this art package. So if your biggest complaint is that the art sucks, then don't buy it. Just enjoy playing the hell out of it in arcade. The art does not suck. It's very, very good. And Jeremy is the greatest artist in pinball right now. Right now, pinball with Jeremy Packer, Christopher Franchi, and Dane Henry Jr., who did the Guns N' Roses art package, which is phenomenal as well. We have yes. got some of the most talented artists in pinball. And if you look at any game, you know, over the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, it blows all of them away. So, Albert, let me ask you about the price. Because obviously, you're right. This game is selling out. People are still looking for LEs, and they're making a 1000 What about the price increase? Because I know you've talked a lot about this on your show. And pinball prices, they're not cheap. They're not cheap anymore. And so what do you think about Stern raising all the prices on the pros, premiums, and LEs? And do you think this hobby is just getting way too expensive? You, you know what? I can't even say much about this because you nailed it on the head on one of your earlier shows. If you're someone who owns 10, even five pinball machines, and they're all brand new like Stern's or JJP's, and, and so let's say, just say your collection's worth 25 to 30K, and you're complaining because the next machine is 10% more for you or 5% more depending on which model you're getting. Right. Come on, give me a break. You could sell two of your machines, buy an L, any LE you want, 
maybe short of Pirates of the Caribbean, and then now you've got an extra space in your arcade, and you've freed up an extra $5,000 cash. When it comes down to it, for someone like me, if my dream theme comes out, like I've never bought a new unbox pinball machine. The most expensive machine I've ever bought was Roller Coaster Tycoon at 5K. If I'm going to buy a new unbox pinball machine one time in my life, if I'm going to like step out, I'm going to have to sell some other collectibles. I'm going to have to sell a couple of my games. You know, my sandbox of fun collectible money is around 20K. So I've got to re- either get rid of two or three other less expensive pins or start selling some of my friggin' like Michael Jordan rookie cards or something. Like, you know, I like to keep my, my, fun money at that same amount for me personally if back to the future comes out in january i would buy it regardless of if it's fifteen hundred dollars more or not and in canada that's closer to like twenty five hundred dollars more now back when you know when i got into pinball when you could buy a stern pro for four thousand nine hundred dollars if they increase the price by two thousand they would see sales astronomically drop and at that time they couldn't afford to do that stern can easily people don't don't people don't think about this and they say oh stern would never do that a year from now, if Stern is caught up on their entire backlog and all the pinball nerds on the planet are still crying, going, I would buy more pinball machines if only you lowered the price. George Gomez is smart. Gary Stern is smart. They will go, okay, well, now we're going to, you know, you know, maybe we're not going to do a price increase for two years. Or maybe they would say something like, you know what, maybe we did go a little bit overboard. This next one coming out, it's got a little bit less in it. We're going to make it $500 less. Stern is smart. We're never going to see a price decrease. I'm not suggesting that would happen. Look at what American Pinball said. They said, hey, if things get back to normal, we will drop that price down again because they are a company that's so small with sales so small that that could make a difference between someone buying or not. Let me ask you a question about Jersey Jack because if you're Jersey Jack, clearly their bomb in their game is way higher than a Stern machine. And now Stern is priced right at JJP. Do you think JJP is looking at this and seeing these Stern machines sell out on day one, a thousand units of a $10,500 Godzilla? Do you think JJP raises its prices on its next game? I almost think they have to. And the reason they have to is because the backlog is too long. The reason people are now willing to pay the same amount of money as a Stern is specifically because they know they can A, typically get it quicker, or B, they just love the theme. I mean, if you just love the theme Mandalorian, you're going to probably get it. But I think it's smart for JJP to raise their prices. I think at the same time, that would lower their backlog. I think at the same time, it would drastically increase their margins because we know that the bomb, let's say, I don't know what the bomb is. Let's say the bomb is 4,000 for an LE, like 4,000 US. You know, it's a thousand more than a Stern LE. I don't know. Let's just say it is. By them increasing the price, by even you know an extra thousand they're increasing their margins by a huge significant amount right so and it just makes sense because if you're selling out day one every time it just it's supply versus demand you're a dumb you know you're a bad business person if you keep selling out every single time that you had a new release you sold out day one and you never increased your prices it's stupid it doesn't make sense you're leaving meat on the bone yeah the goal in business especially with a thing like a toy like this you really want to make one less than the demand if you're selling out of a thousand LEs on day one, you know, Stern's probably looking at this like, all right, well, we kind of have to figure this out now because, yeah, we probably could have made 1,500 Godzilla LEs. But I think what Jersey Jack's going to probably be looking at, they usually make 500 CEs and they made that of Guns N' Roses. And we saw that thing sell out day one at 12.5. I predict Toy Story might be 750 CEs at 15 grand because why not? Why, why would you leave all that money on the table 
and you know that people will gobble it up immediately. Exactly. For someone who has, you know, an honors degree in marketing, even from a local community college, the first thing you learn is how to maximize profit per item sold. It's the exact opposite of the McDonald's uh, model where, you know, you just, you make a couple cents per burger, but you sell trillions of them and you make most of the money on the real estate. Right. It's the opposite of that, right? So I think you are right. Now, if they raise the prices to 15,000 and they see tons of kickback there and they don't sell out for weeks on end, then maybe they go back to 14,000 or 14,500 or maybe they add in an extra, you know, they already have the free topper. So it already makes sense. If you add in the cost of a Stern topper, Sterns are actually like 500 to a thousand dollars more now. I agree. Like 15K is not even a ceiling. I mean, when I see some of these homes and these game rooms, you go into any great neighborhood where the houses are a million dollars or more, right? If anyone mm-hmm. on that block is into pinball, it's nothing to them. It's a drop in the bucket. And now you imagine all across America, 365 million people. And that's just America, right? Half these games go overseas. They go to Australia. They go to Europe. A thousand. All I need to do is find a thousand rich dudes who love pinball. No, there's like 10,000 rich dudes who love pinball. So the sky's the limit. They haven't even come close to the ceiling. Albert, let's, let's change gears from price to American pinball. David Fix is coming on the show soon. American Pinball is a company in transition, and all the rumors are indicating that the next game is going to be possibly Legends of Valhalla, an original IP. Do you think that game can succeed in the marketplace right now with everything that's in the market? Again, it depends on your goals. If Stern came out with that, it would sell worse than the Black Knight. If JJP came out with that, it would sell worse than Dialed In. If American Pinball comes out with Legends of Valhalla, it will sell worse than Houdini and even beer fest like it just it just blows my mind like that like at least houdini is something like growing up i saw you know a couple of the old houdini shows and you know of him doing ma- you know magic tricks and escaping and stuff like that at least you know beer fest i've i i like the idea of going to a beer fest uh anyone who says the art package on beer fest is better than godzilla is confusing to me but i don't think are you making fun of Oktoberfest by saying beer fest or you just think it's beer fest well here no no here's the thing here's the thing <laughs> to me that game could have been beer fest like the movie beer fest from the super trooper guys it could have been a funny it could have been like you have to drink you get in the multi-ball and you have to drink your way out of there that's what i always wanted Oktoberfest to be Right. But to me, Oktoberfest is just a generic term for you're going to basically a beer fest in the fall. Like, you know what I mean? It would have been interesting. It would have been interesting, Albert, if they had a camera in that game like Jersey Jack pinball machines and it actually can detect when you're drinking. Yeah. And and I think that they did add some neat stuff onto it. I mean, it's not a good shooter. That's the thing is like Hot Wheels. It's weird because American pinball keeps getting different things right. Hot Wheels is a great shooter. But much like Aerosmith, Aerosmith, the game looks great, but it, it just sounds like garbage because I just hate Aerosmith. I also can't get over the air tool sounds. If you say anything to David Fix, just say, frickin' Orbital Albert over there in Canada, he wanted to buy a Hot Wheels, but those, like the, the air tuning sounds constantly. My, I was over at a friend of mine's house playing Hot Wheels a couple weeks ago. And there was like music on the background. There's 15 other pins around. And still, if I was in 10 feet of, I was over playing darts. I wasn't even near the pinball machines. Like, (laughs) F off. Who is in your sound department there? It would be better for it to be the very first muted machine and have no sounds in the background. Now, that being said, I still think Hot Wheels is their best art package and it's definitely their best shooter. 
Even though the game plays like an EM, it's very slow, it's very floaty. I don't know what's up with that game. My buddy had it set up like as steep as you can get it, and the game's still just very like you have time to sip a beer between each shot on Hot Wheels. Like you hit the ball and then it bounces around, floats over here for a bit. Like it's just very strange to me. And the crazy part is American Pinball's making the best, highest quality pins, as far as we know. They're by far the best pins on the market. Why can't they bring it together and have like an okay art package like Houdini or, or Hot Wheels with like, you know, a good a good shooter and also have snappy flippers because it seems like they're on the right path. But Legends of Valhalla, you are sometimes you're wrong, Kaneda, and I will call you out. Chris, Kaneda, I don't know what you prefer to be called, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong about Legends of Valhalla. They might even sell like a hundred of them, but is that really a success? Yeah, what I think they're going to have to do with that title, right, is they're going to have to manufacture some FOMO and scarcity. So they might have to say, we're only making 500. And I think if they do that, they will eventually cross that finish line. But if they say they're making an unlimited amount, that won't work. If they say they're doing a three-tiered system of like an LE Premium Pro, that's not going to work. So I think they're going to have to say like, on our junior designer games, and it kind of makes sense, right? This is a game that's already been developed, so it's not a lot of cost to them to put it on the line. Let's just say this is going to be a run of 500, and you know everyone will make some money on, but it's got to be very limited. So we'll see. We'll even see if that's the game. I mean, it hasn't been confirmed. The other thing, when people talk about American pinball quality, I'm curious, right? Because they don't sell a ton of games, right? This isn't a company that's selling thousands of games. And, you know, we see all the issues with Jersey Jack machines. We'll talk about that. Stern sells thousands of each title. And we really don't see many people having a lot of quality issues with Stern. So I would argue probably that Stern is the best quality pinball machine. And if you look at the amount of games they sell, I don't go into Stern threads and see page after page of like issues. We're seeing that more with Jersey Jack. And so hopefully, you know, American Pinball can get to that level when they start selling many, many titles. Albert, let's talk about JJP and Mirko, because this has been probably the story that I've covered so many times. I know you're sick of hearing about it, so I want to bring it up. Uh, what do you think? What do you think Jersey Jack's way out of this is? Do they continue to work with Mirko? What would you do as a marketer if you're giving them advice? Okay. All the way through college, I worked for Nestle Ice Cream, and I worked on a machine called the Haagen-Dazs 8 Wide. And my job as the chocolate man was to make sure that the chocolate with, was within half a degree Celsius or a third of a degree Fahrenheit of the exact same temperature when the ice cream is getting dropped down in the chocolate. If it's too hot, too much chocolate drips off. If it's too cold, too much chocolate sticks on it. And then your nutritional information in the back is screwed. And then we, you know, Haagen-Dazs gets mad at Nestle, and they lose their biggest contract. So my job was just to, you know, do that. It's a pretty easy job. But then and the quality control person's job once an hour is to come get 10 bars and it's very boring but they cut the bar in half they measure the chocolate if one of my 10 bars was off they didn't say boo if more than two was off they said hey you got to like work you know you got to test a couple more and you got to really nail this dial this in if more than three was off they closed down the line and it was costing the line five thousand dollars an hour to close down that line so my whole thing is we don't know the exact numbers. It's, it's, it's what you're saying. If if we knew, Jer it's, it's seemingly we know Jersey Jack sells less pins than Stern and we hear about more issues, but think about it. More of Stern's machines go to bars and, and, and locations and location buyers, they just don't go over with a fine tooth comb. In fact, the pinball bar that I grew up going to all the time, the guy knew how to like move an unstuck ball, but that was about it. He didn't look over all the machines, you know, when one was brought in and say, oh, is there a tiny bit of pooling here or something? So I think Jersey Jack owners are more likely to look over their machines with a fine tooth comb, so you're more likely to hear about it. 
And until recently, because you paid so much frickin' more for these things, of course people are going to care more about it. Now, that being said, my issue with you talking about it was not that, not that I didn't love listening to you talk, because I'm not going to lie, Chris, there's three men in my life that have entertained me the most. Number one is Jerry Seinfeld. Number two uh, is Steve Carell in The Office, of course, Michael Scott's character. And you're probably number three because I've, you know, you've entertained me for hundreds and hundreds of hours, but I've only turned off maybe half a dozen shows and they were the shows where, where you said, okay, and I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Then the next show you were like, I got another bit. And then the next show you, and for me, it was like, I like you complaining about it. I like you bitch moaning and complaining because when that happens, obviously more people talk about it and there's a better chance Mirko fixes the, the BS they're doing. However, when I don't know statistically the numbers as a numbers guy, if, if, if one in a thousand JJP machines are having playfield issues, who cares? That's probably better than Stern's numbers. It's, it's definitely better than, you know, American Pinball's numbers. But if it's like one in 10 are coming out with serious issues, then we need to talk about it. But because we can't have an honest conversation about how many of each level was sold, now we don't know what percentage of them have issues. Now it's hard to say if it's a good quality product or not, right? Well, I, w I would argue that unlike a bar of ice cream, um, <laughs> one machine deteriorating, and we've seen the photos. I mean, the photos don't lie. Is too many yeah. at $12,500, and it's not just one, right? It's a lot. And yes, we don't know the exact numbers. There was supposed to be a This Week in Pinball a story about this in which Jeff was trying to get some more data. It's impossible. It's impossible to really know. What we do know is that three games in a row, there have been significant playfield issues with these Jersey Jack machines. And so let me get back to the question. What would you do if you were them? What you do is you look at the product coming in before you put it into the machine. It's too late to have quality assurance go through a playfield after they've done all that work. It's just too late. I think they arrive in perfect condition. Like it's obviously the, the impact of the ball on the posts is what's causing it. So I think these games are leaving the factory looking perfect. And then over time, they're falling apart. So do you think they should figure out a way to sort of do more quality control testing and, and, and figure that part out? Do you think they should just stop the line until they actually know the problem? Because they really have it. Uh, you, obviously, you can't stop the line because it's going to cost a lot of money. But they either, need to, they either need to switch who's doing it or obviously Miracle needs to step it up. You know what I mean? But... Again, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to fix those issues. I don't. I never worked. I worked in a soap factory and an ice cream factory, but I never worked in a, a pinball factory yet. We were talking about backlog and JJP Albert. So, what do you think their timeline is to reveal the next game? Because I put out a rumor that it might be sometime soon. It's just a rumor. I'm not sure, but do you think they're going to do something this October, or we're going to have to wait until 2022 to see the next title from Jersey Jack Pinball? I don't know. That's You kind of follow that aspect of it a lot more than I do when you're doing kind of your investigative journalism, which no one else seems to do in pinball media, so thank you for that. But I don't know. It would be smart for them to at least announce it before Christmas because it seems to be that, like, that's kind of when a lot of people are willing to do, you know, fork out a little bit of extra money. But I also think it's smart to not start a new pin until you can actually start shipping within it doesn't have to be two weeks but you know you want to be shipping within i would say two months so if they know they can start shipping a machine within two months of christmas sure i don't think they can like they don't they have uh guns and roses on the line till next summer 
Yeah, they, they got way more orders. And they must have known GNR was going to be huge. But let's say they get five or 6,000 orders of that game. You know, they can't make games like Stern. So that is a backlog of pretty much two years for them. Speaking of backlog and waiting for new titles, let's talk about Chicago Gaming Company, Cactus Canyon Remake, the worst kept secret in pinball. Um, What are your thoughts on Cactus Canyon Remake? Do you think they've waited too long? Do you think it's a day one sellout? What do you think? Well, I actually think that Cactus Canyon has a hell of a better chance than Legends of Valfela. Like, honestly, like just uh, it really just because, first of all, Cactus Canyon has years and years and years of nostalgia built up and following. And if you're a tournament player like me, you've seen this, you know, from me traveling across tournaments across Canada, the United States, you've seen this. Um, Not that it was a tournament darling, but a lot of collectors love this. You know, they love the story of it, not the, the code not being finished and then someone else working on the code. It's a fun game to shoot. It has cool mechs in it. You know, if Franchi helped even clean up the artwork, you know, it, it's going to be even better. So I think that this could sell. I just think if they, like you said before, I think if they had released this like a year ago, you know, or in that big dip there for six months when no pins were released, if they had released it pre-Godzilla, they would have sold more. Well, they're definitely going to sell out of, of the top of the line version and, and then, you know, we'll see how much the demand is. I, for me, and, and again, I say this, Albert, as someone who somewhat successful in the world of business, but I look at all of these games hitting at once. And I think for most people out there, if money's not the issue, space will be the issue. Because if you just bought an Ultraman or a Halloween or a Godzilla or a Mandalorian, you know, you can't find room for six new pins or four new pins a year. And for a lot of us, like we can't afford it. But for many people, even if you can, you got to find room. I think it's going to do well. I think the game is going to be loaded. I think it's going to look spectacular. And I think um, we should see it by expo that that's that's my my feeling on this game let's talk about spooky pinball next have you played halloween or ultraman yet no i'm not even entirely sure there's any in canada yet i mean i would absolutely love to i'm i'm hoping to soon but have you followed sort of what's been going on in the thread with with halloween in terms of the code in the game the animations and are there going to be more assets like do you think spooky pinball in the coding department needs to really nail this game what are your thoughts because right now people are locked in non-refundable deposit and it's pretty clear the code's got a lot of work to do and they might not have the ability to put in a lot of the movie clips that i think people would like to see especially now that spooky games are nine to ten thousand dollars I hear where you're coming from that. I, too, would have liked the code to have been further along. And I honestly think if you're Charlie Emery, you're sitting there saying, uh, you know what, next time we release a game, we're going to make sure the code's a little bit further along because I know that they've definitely had some people pull back on their deposits. And Well, they just posted yesterday that they've got 15 more movie clips that are coming out on the next huge code release. So first of all, I think there's a chance there. But what you were saying is that it's how they're implemented is sort of the issue. And you know, they're going to work on that stuff. I think they nailed it with Rick and Morty. Maybe they were a little bit overconfident thinking, well, we did a TV show, so it'll be easy to do a movie. But of course, they had way less access with Halloween than they did with Rick and Morty. So, I mean, I think that overall Spooky's doing really, really, really good. I do agree with you, though, the codes that that one thing that's just got to be stepped up. I mean, 
you know, they don't have the same people as Stern or even JJP doing code. Uh, I think you're right. I think the code's got a ways to go. That's the thing that's got to work on the most. And the people who are being rude and giving kickback to you for you just giving your honest opinion, they're just hating for the sake of hating. And that's unfortunate that that happens because I actually do believe 99% of the time you do give constructive criticism now in like a not rude manner and that you you genuinely are wanting the pinball machines to be better so that we can all enjoy playing pinball more often, right? I'm curious why David Van S, who did the animations on Alice Cooper, which I love the animations on Alice Cooper, the pinball machine. I'm curious why he's not over there. And I think that Spooky Pinball has like the most sort of enthusiastic fans, the way they interact with the community. And I think now with all these games and at the price point, I think Chuck just needs to invest and double down on coders and animators. And you got to be at the level, the standard by which the industry is at. And when I'm looking at the animations right now, they're not at the standard and there's no way around it. And maybe they need to sort of maybe think about redoing some of that work or going in a different direction. But we'll see. The game shoots great though, Albert. When you do play this game, they really Mm. nailed it in the hardware department. It is a very satisfying game to shoot. Um, And I think if the software can catch up with the hardware, I think these are going to go down as the most enjoyable spooky pins to play because of how well they shoot. And, you know, pinball needs to shoot well. It doesn't matter how good the code is if the game is not enjoyable to flip. No, you're right. You're right. I guess what my wish is for a lot of people on Pinside and back when I had a pinball podcast, I don't know, three, four months ago, I used to find myself on Pinside like 15, 20 hours a week, and more times than not, I'd be in a good mood before I went on Pinside, and more times than not, I'd be a little crusty, a little gra- I, I would end up closing my laptop because I would just read something that made me shake my head so hard, I almost got a concussion. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, I, I like pinball as a hobby because it adds value to my life. Pinball is a hobby for me, which is supposed to be a relaxing, you know, side part. And when I was into the podcast, the thing is, I was spending probably about 30 hours a week. I wouldn't doubt that you spend even more than that, especially leading up to the release of a new pin. When you're spending this amount of time and energy on pin side, because you feel like you want to give all of your listeners the best time and energy, you're also going to gravitate towards, unfortunately, some of the hottest takes and some of the most busy, uh, you know, threads that go to the top. And those threads, like the Deep Root thread, all often have a lot of, you know, a lot of back and forth, a lot of people either being negative or being rude or trying to posture, letting their ego get in the way. And that's kind of what Pinside has became. And so now I just, I've limited myself to like half an hour here, half an hour there. If I start to get even a little bit annoyed by what people are saying, I just get the hell off there. My whole point with Pinside is people, if they just went to the gym, 10% of the amount of time they spend on Pinside, this hobby would be (laughs) ripped. Like we would be going through the shows and everyone would be in the best shape of their lives. And it's like, it's toilet bowl entertainment. You know, you get on the toilet, you open up Pinside and you see a bunch of people arguing about the same thing they all love. It's kind of a weird dynamic um, when you think about it. So Albert, as a podcaster, right, do you want to get back on the airwaves one day? Do you miss it? Or do you feel more balanced in your life that you've sort of taken a hiatus from it? Hiatus is the good term. I was, I basically ended the podcast and I was live streaming on Pinball Nerds Podcast, my Twitch channel. The thing is, do I want to podcast again? Not yet. Not really. Will I ever come back with a podcast show? I don't think so. I do plan on doing a very shorter segment where I don't go off topic and talk about my freaking goats all day or whatever. 
And I want to do a YouTube channel that's like five rad, one bad. And I talk about the five rad things that I like about a machine and maybe one that they could have done better on or the five rad things I like about Canada's pinball podcast and the one thing, you know, maybe I think he could work on or something, right? But I want them to be short little videos. So if anyone wants to see any of my future content, they can always like Pinball Nerds Podcast on Facebook, but don't assume you'll ever hear from me again because short of coming onto your show whenever you ask me or possibly going on other pinball podcasts, no, I don't plan. I did dust off the microphone today but I don't plan on going back to it I think what I do works out better visually and we're supposed to have high-speed internet here by the end of the year so if I don't have my YouTube channel going within the next month or two I probably will be back to live stream by the end of the year but I will never ever ever jeopardize my mental health my physical health time with my family time with my friends it wasn't like my children would get home from school and I go sorry kids and I you know I wouldn't talk to them about their day and just do pinball but it was like my whole morning was gone from like 9 a.m. until noon, you know, it's gone. I'm taking my freaking mornings back. Now, if I got the listens you got, if I got two, three, four thousand listens per show, and, you know, a little bit of financial backing, I would maybe, maybe, maybe be like more into keeping doing it. But I thought my show would grow to getting four or five hundred listens. But like you even mentioned earlier, I go off topic so freaking often that it turns off the people who are just there for the pinball. It's it's always been my advice to everyone who pinball podcasts is just like get to the point. It's all it's all people want to talk about is the pinball. Speaking of kickbacks, do you find the Viva La Raza t-shirt, the one of 122 I'm making, do you find that shirt offensive? And would you ever wear that incredible limited edition Canada's Pinball Podcast merch. All right. So I have to be honest here. I am going to go buy one. I'm going to buy one. I don't I don't necessarily think it's like the coolest art package I've ever seen on a pin. And I know it wasn't meant to be that. I'm not buying it because it's limited edition because I don't necessarily think it's going to go up in value. Although it's cool that there will only be 120 of us on the planet with them. But I was actually a little bit offended. And it takes a lot to offend me when I heard my buddy, I know you guys aren't best buds, but my buddy uh, talking about how it's not cool to have a Rouse shirt that is kind of like making people feel bad about what happened with Deep Root. First of all, you already said you were going to do this shirt way before we found out how evil Robert was. We all knew Robert was like not a good business person and not ever going to make a, a decent pinball machine, but we didn't know how bad it was. He's now the second worst guy in pinball. Like short of John Trudeau, one of them was abusing children. The other one's abusing senior citizens. Both are just deplorable and just the scum of the earth. But my thing is, is that you are poking fun at Robert. You're poking fun at him being a jerk. You don't even say anything negative or rude on there. If it's like Steve Bowden was wrong. If your shirt said that, I would never support you because I love Steve Bowden. And although I think maybe he should have saw it coming earlier. And I do think at this point he should maybe say like, hey, I was freaking wrong, even though, you know, I I think that would be nice. I don't think he has to do that. And I'm sure there's some type of gag order. And Robert Mueller, I think he's got like into their heads. And it's almost like he's like, it's like an abusive relationship where like, you know, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds, but you're also afraid he's going to sue you if you say anything. I'm going to buy the shirt, A, because I want to promote you because you've given me hundreds and probably now thousands of hours of entertainment. B, I want to get the shirt because I think it's funny. It's poking fun at the the most boisterous person in pinball who never was able to complete what they wanted to do. And and C, it's going to ruffle some feathers. Some people are going to be like, I can't believe you're supporting Canada. And I'm going to be like, 
yeah, what do you want to say about it? Like, if I'm at a show and I'm wearing that and someone gets in my face, I'm going to laugh at them. I'm going to be like, dude, you got bigger issues. Viva La Raza was always, always, and it was more of a joke at J-pop and is 11-year-in-the-making ridiculous game called Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland. And Viva La Raza, I know what the cultural meaning means, but it's long live J-pop's never-ending debacle game, which is Raza. It's a joke, and it's not meant to poke fun at the people. I have so many friends who have lost money on this game, many of which are in on the joke and are going to be buying this t-shirt. So what, what color are you going to get? Black, white, or gray? I got to get the black. It looks great. And if I had to choose a number, it would probably be 99 for Mr. Wayne Gretzky, the great one, or 23 for Michael Jordan, or of course, my favorite current hockey player, Leon Dreisaitl, number 26. So Those early numbers are gone, but I will get you number 99. So don't worry about that. We'll do that after yes! the show. Wayne Gretzky's number. Let's talk about Steve Bowden and Deep Root real quick because I've sort of stopped talking about Deep Root because it's over. Like, it's done. Like, there's nothing new to to discuss. But I think the only thing left, and you were talking about this, is for Bowden and Barrio. Like, why haven't they just been like, look, we also got hoodwinked by this guy. It's over. But they haven't called it. Why do you think they're still holding on? I don't know. I'll be honest. Uh, Steve Bowden and I have never been super close. I did get to hang out with him at the final Pimberg. I did go to the, you know, the dead flip after party with him and I did message him once uh, last fall and I said look is there any way you would come on the show and talk about everything going on because I just don't want to deal with Robert anymore I just you know a long time ago I said Steve Bowden should have been the communications manager it shouldn't have been Robert going on all those shows now that being said maybe that you know it it wouldn't have mattered the machines wouldn't have been made but if I were Steve what I would do is I would want to disassociate myself with everything deep root as soon as possible to show the other pinball companies Like, hey, I'm open for business. I want to work with you guys. I want to help with rules design. I think I did a decent job with Roz, even though no one will get to see it. But yeah, I I do agree with you. I just, the problem is I don't want to jump to conclusions because who knows? Like, what if Steve Bowden's mom invested her entire life savings in this? And Steve Bowden's mom's like, and maybe like, so maybe it's just so close to him, he can't talk about it. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past Robert Mueller telling all the pinball people like, oh, contact your friends and family. We're going to make 5% guaranteed per year. That You can't do that. That doesn't happen. You could have a million dollars and a bank won't give you 5% guaranteed per year. So if I make a Steve Bowden shirt that says, just wait, which is what he said, <laughs> you wouldn't wear that. We won't do it. We won't do it. Steve's a no, great I guy. Wouldn't, I wouldn't wear that. I wouldn't support it. And I'd probably call you out on it. These guys all had stars in their eyes. It's a dream job to wake up and be able to work on a pinball machine. And and I understand why he went down to Texas. And it all seemed really good at the beginning. But you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday who paid for Raza in fall. Like, this is a guy who's out 10000 I think, $200, and he's like, Chris, I was new to the hobby. I didn't really know what I was doing. I couldn't imagine that a game that was out, because he saw the Houston show. He's like, the game's there. Like, it's going to happen. And I said to him, and I, wanna, I don't want to name his name. I said, man, I got to tell you right now, if you were to ask anybody when you paid in full for that game in the community, should I do this? 99% of people would have said, what are you doing? You're crazy. So I kind of don't even feel bad because all you had to do is ask anybody who knows anything about that story and that company and J-pop and they would have told you, stay away. And that's why they got so few orders. Exactly. I mean, you said it before, I'm sure again, on one of your shows, if J-pop had somehow 
coerced American Pinball or CGC or one of these other companies, or even Spooky, into making Raza, it would have came out and it would have sold more than a hundred and something. Like Raza is an, especially for eleven years ago, Raza's a good enough game that it would have sold pretty well. Especially like if it came out, like you said, a decade ago. Wow, like that's actually got quite a bit to it and decent shots and neat rules and like a couple neat little mechs you don't see that often. Cool, but with the reason Raza didn't sell is because no one trusted Deep Root. Right. There might be like one dude who doesn't listen to pinball podcasts, never been on Pinside, and was like, oh, I saw this game at a show and like did no research and paid for the game in full. I feel sorry for that dude, I guess, a little. But I'm sure 99.9% of the people knew that there was a good chance they didn't get a penny back. I don't know why. It doesn't cost more to just pay a deposit. Why would you not just pay the deposit? Yeah, I think the people that are just kicking themselves are the ones who had a chance to get a refund and they didn't take it. And it's like, oh my God, they got burned like four times. So this is it, right? J-pop's done, right? There's no, there's no returning of J-pop in this hobby. I wouldn't let J-pop design a pinball machine for me on a napkin. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, yeah, no, I think he's done. I think he's done. I think it's good that you're not talking lots about Deep Root because there's definitely Deep Root fatigue. Yeah, when I see a game like Godzilla, right? It's beautiful. It's got all this fun stuff in it. Keith Elwin has got more talent in one finger than J-pop does in his whole body. And I think that the jig is up. Like people realize the guy is kind of like a hack who stood on the shoulders of Bally William engineer geniuses and took credit for everything. Like I firmly believe J-pop went to bed at night and he woke up and all those engineers figured out everything we love about his games because look at what he created when he was on his own. It was mm -hmm. all stuff that didn't work or stuff that he stole from other people's ideas. Nothing was original. Nothing worked. Nothing functioned and nothing was that impressive. So we're done with Deep Root. This might be, Albert, the last time I ever talk about Deep Root other than... Wash your hands of it, Chris. Yeah, other than what happens in the court of law when Robert Mueller has to walk in and now face the music. Hopefully the law throws the book at him and, and we never hear from him again too. Well, who have we missed? Like Alien Pinball. This Friday, we're going to see the LV version of Alien by the Pinball Brothers. What do you think they're going to make in terms of changes to that special version of the game? I don't know what they're going to change. I do know that part of the reason why I ended my show, it wasn't, you know, originally it was because I was going to have you on and I was getting a lot of kickback from people. I remember the morning I was supposed to have you on, I had like seven people arguing with me in chat. Six of them were specifically saying like, why would you have him on support the show? And I said, because he's my buddy. He's interesting, and frankly, doing a pinball podcast, like I was at 488 episodes. Like it's boring talking by myself. Me sitting here talking with you is fun. It's exciting. It's, you know, you have to go do all the editing now, which I don't envy. I just don't care about the theme. Like when you look at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it stayed relevant because there was new cartoons, there was new shows. Even with Hot Wheels, it stayed relevant. But Alien has not stayed relevant. There's no new video games. There's no talk of a reboot. There's no, if there was a reboot past the first three, I don't even care. I liked the movie back then. I watched it once or twice back then. But again, I'm not into horror movies. I'm not giant into like sci-fi stuff like that. So it just did nothing for me. I would say that it's an iconic movie and the two movies people love. I would also say like like Back to the Future. It's like if you say, has it stayed relevant? I don't know. Like there's not a lot of like new stuff happening around that franchise. But because it's so iconic, the love of it never goes away, right? For the target audience that loves that theme. So I think they're going to probably powder coat it black, put some beacons on top and call it a day. I hope they change the artwork because I just think it looks really dull and flat. 
that and they should have like tapped Mr. Franchi on the shoulder and said, hey, can you help us out here? Um, Franchi's got like three or four games coming out next year. And I know you're good friends with Mr. Franchi. I'm happy to say that him and I are friends again. And I'm happy also to make a correction. Yeah. Yes. Let's let's, you know, even Hilton and I, Hilton came into my stream on Facebook live on the morning of Godzilla and we had a good back and forth. And I like that. I like that a good game brings everybody back together. But I want to do a correction too, because on one of my previous shows, I said that Christopher Franchi takes older artwork and he enhances it. And I want to make a correction because he's like, Chris, I illustrate everything in my artwork. So I want to just say, yes, you do. Yes, we can't wait to see your work on new games. What titles do you think he's working on? Because I want to just throw something out there. I think I know he's working on Eric Minier's next game, and I think it's going to be Matrix or Avatar. But what do you think his efforts are going to fall onto in 2022? Chris has never done a bad art package. So Chris is Christopher Franchi is maybe the only person on the planet who could have done a package that might have appeased even more people than Zombie Yeti on Godzilla. Like, he's the only person who might have been able to do a better package. And I say might. And I love Franchi's art, right? Like, Monsters Premium is my favorite art package on the planet. I don't know what he's working on. Whatever it is is going to be awesome. I did want to clear the air quickly because right before I had Franchi on my show, I had said, you know, the only thing that we're not going to do on the show is we are not going to talk negatively about anybody. And, like, the week before he was coming on, you and Chris the Pintern got into it a little, a little bit in a live stream, and I thought maybe a couple of the things that you said were, you know, a little bit out of out of bounds. And it's not that I don't ever, I say dumb stuff all the freaking time, right? But I kind of, like, the only reason before Franchi and I went on air, I said, look, he's been so rude to Chris the Pintern, who's my Pintern for my show, who gets paid nothing, yet does interviews for my show, goes out to, you saw him dressed up as Willy Wonka when you guys sat together for the Twippies, right? Yep. So you know how hard he's out there working for my show. He got to go run up there and grab the Twippies for my buddy Mark and City, and he's doing all this stuff to help Pinball Nerds podcast for free, and then you were kind of having beef with him. So I felt obligated to all my listeners and to Chris, the Pintern, to kind of like, you know, stick up for him. So, but anyways, long story short, the biggest regret I have in 500 episodes of Pinball Podcasting was that 10-minute segment where we were rude to you. So honestly, if I could have taken it back, that's something I would do because you didn't deserve it. I dish it. I take it. I understand that we're, we're all very like heated and in the moment and, and it's fine. My whole approach and since being back and you'll see like I don't talk about other shows. I don't talk about other personalities. I just want to talk about pinball and have a good time. I hear a lot of other people still talking about me, still making fun of me. And that's cool. Like that's other people's agenda. This show is more popular. We do have more fans. We have more support. Um, the more we focus on the machines and we, we keep the person personal attacks out. Nobody wants to hear people screaming and complaining about pinball. What they want to hear is a combination of our enthusiasm for it, but they also want us to hold these companies accountable, right? To make products that are reflective of these prices and also have quality at these prices. Albert, who else have we missed? So P3 Multimorphic, Jerry, he's got a licensed theme with Scott Denisi. I think Scott Denisi is kind of out of the spooky picture now. What do you think that's gonna be? Does Jerry need a licensed theme to get it going? What do you think? I guess my problem is, and I hear you say often that it needs a licensed theme, and I don't think you're wrong about that. However, have you played a P3? 
Yeah, I actually enjoy it at the show. I, I think the thing with the game is it's always fun when it's connected to other P3s next to each other. There's the, I like the simplicity of some of those versus games he has. I really like that. My whole thing is my favorite machines are Keith Elwin machines because he uses the whole play field. He makes shots on the far left and the far right important again. There's just more shots on an Elwin machine, which is why he usually has to have three or four flippers. For me... They're just what, like, everything's happening at the top of the, the pinball machine, and I don't like that. I like there to be some reason to have to shoot lower. I, it sounds dumb, but it just doesn't feel like pinball to me. I don't know why. I think you almost have to have three or four pins to have that as one of your pins. If that's your only pin at home, I feel like sometimes you would almost feel like, I need to play, like, fast, stern pinball for it to be pinball. I don't know. Yeah. I also think for that platform, what I really think it's good at is for kids. I mean, I, I think when you walk yep. up to that machine and a lot of those games where it's just like you, you have to shoot those blocks that pop up and down and they're green or red and it's really simple to understand and it's really inviting for a younger pinball demographic, I think that really is the sweet spot because I would argue that almost every other pin is impossible for casuals or kids to understand what to do in it. And I know that some people are probably screaming at me right now, be like, Chris, my eight-year-old knows the whole rule set, the Pirates of the Caribbean. That might be so, but I think for the most part, most pinball machines are very, very difficult for someone who just walks up to it to know what to do and to feel some satisfaction in, in what they're doing in the game. So I think Jerry has something there. We'll see. I'm excited to see his license theme. I want them to do well. I want P3 to do well. I hope they do well. I think you're right. It's really good for kids who are used to like digital technology and large screens on everything. I think P3 has a place. I think that they're doing most things right. I can't be too judgmental. But me personally, if I'm in an arcade, I would rather go play an EM from 1950s like Sing Along by Ed Krinsky, one of my favorite EM designers, than go over there and play a P3. I'm sorry. Well, Albert, we're at the hour. This has been a pleasure. It's been long overdue. I really thank you for coming on. Hopefully the people, those seven or eight people that were just utterly disgusted by us talking about pinball will listen to this and understand this is what it's always been about. This is why you love talking about pinball. It's why I love talking about pinball. It's why pinball brings all of us together from different walks of life and demographics. And I think they should give this show a chance because as you know, over the past hundred or so episodes, it's just this every episode. There, there's nothing that would make you be disgusted to hear Canada talk about pinball. So thank you for joining. Oh, Chris, it's been my pleasure. Before I go, I just want to say I'm really missing Ian from Poor Man's Pinball Podcast. I miss that dude. If he ever comes back to social media, you know, uh, I would love to have him back. I don't know if he'll ever come back to pinball media, but I'm missing that dude. And the last thing I want to say is I hope all of your listeners are excited because although the po my podcast is gone, I'm still following through with the Pinball Nerds Podcast trading cards. And like you say to every single pinball product, it needs to be limited edition. Mine are going to be limited to 50 of each card. Probably one of the most limited edition card sets on the planet. And because Ian and Drew are no longer in there, the very first hologram was supposed to be of Ian and Drew. That obviously can't happen now. So there might be a spot for Canada or Canada's socks to get a hologram. Who knows? Oh, there you go. We might have some Canada socks end up in the merchandise line coming soon. And, and that's that. So keep a lookout on Silverball swag for that, people. Well, Albert, thank you, my brother from the north. Enjoy your weekend in Canada. And will you be at Expo for people who might want to say hi? I am not allowed to go to Expo. I actually had already paid for a, a, a plane flight back to Ontario. And then I was going to drive to Expo. But we're uh, Canadians, it was announced on the 21st, are not. And that's why Canadians are not 
not going to a lot of big tournaments coming up even this weekend because you cannot drive across the border, even if you're double vaxxed, even if you say you're going for business, like you, you just you can't drive across the land border. You can fly, but then you've got to do all these testing and isolation when you return and crazy stuff. So, no, I won't be going. But someday, Chris, you and I are going to hang out. We're going to have a beer together. We're going to play a game of pinball. And if I don't ever see you at a show, because I'm sure I will, first time I come to New York City, I'm going to bring my wonderful wife, Drop Target Danielle. We're going to go out for a nice dinner with you and Brenda, maybe get Killian a sitter for the night. And uh, by the way, my wife thinks that your son is like the cutest baby on the planet. Whenever you're doing the Saturday morning uh, spectaculars, she always goes, where's Killian? Where's Killian? And I always call her over. So she thinks, you know, my sons are so much older now. They're 12 and 16. So Hayden and Owen aren't as cute as they used to be, right? And I almost forget what it's like to have a baby. But um, keep doing the Saturday morning spectaculars. My only favor is just one of the shows in October. Can you call it the Saturday morning spooktacular? Yeah, we can do that. And for those of you (laughs) listening to this, because I'm going to upload it today this saturday morning at 11 a.m i'm going to be live at automated pinball and we're going to pick the winner of that godzilla le spot so you can buy it at msrp which albert i mean i'm i haven't even get that many people i mean this thing is in demand and i want to make sure this goes to a diehard godzilla fan and so for those of you saying canada's a bastard who flips every game for money uh uh-uh I'm doing the right thing. I'm getting it to a fan, and we're going to do it live on the Spectacular this Saturday morning. The show starts at 10 a.m. on Facebook. If you haven't been a part of it, I think you should join. And at 11 a.m., we do the drawing. Everyone's name goes in a hat. It's the fairest way to do it. And then they have five minutes to call Automated to claim the spot, or we go to the second person in the hat. Canada, you're a changed man. That's it. Man of the people. Well, Albert, thank you so much. (laughs) It's been a pleasure, and we will definitely do this again soon. And have a great weekend, my friend. It was great to chat, buddy. I'll talk soon. Awesome. (laughs)